0: Efficiency with NACFE's Mike Roth and Friends. In Episode 61, we have joining us Jigger Shaw, He's Senior Director of the Loan Program Office at the United States Department of Energy, where he explains what's happened over the last 10 years with decarbonization, the need to crack the code to deploy technologies faster, getting people past the valley of inertia, the history and goals of the DOE's loan program, and measuring the program's success. He also encourages the industry to be more vocal about what it needs from the Department of Energy. Today we have joining us Jigger Shaw. Jigger is the director of the Loan Programs Office at United States Department of Energy. It's a real pleasure to have you on today, Jigger. I'm really excited about um, our time together here.
1: Well, it's great to be on your podcast, and obviously, great to see you again. Yeah, so
0: we named this podcast uh, Freight Efficiency with Maxfi's Mike Roth and friends. And we sort of did that intentionally because we wanted it to be a very you know, casual conversation with somebody I know. Uh, do you recall exactly how we met and, uh, and became friends, Vigor?
1: Well, I think we met through my work at the uh, Carbon War Room. And when we looked around for the smartest person in the entire country on freight efficiency, uh, your name popped up. <laughs> and so we were like, we should bring Mike into the fold. And uh, we worked closely together after that yeah
0: yeah you're too kind I, I at the time uh well a few years before that NACFI was born out of an RMI workshop Rocky Mountain Institute we uh Ned Harvey and I came to didn't I think we were calling them creating climate wealth. yeah
1: or creating climate wealth conferences yep yeah
0: so uh, Ned and I joined one at National Stadium in Washington DC and I, I think that's actually the event we met at so um yeah, it goes back a ways. You're too kind, though, with your compliments.
1: I'm always in awe of how deep people have really gotten into some of these sectors. It's, uh, it really is breathtaking and frankly required. I mean, if you're going to make change at the gigaton scale level, you got to have that level of detail.
0: Yeah, and I, I find with us the work, you know, the credibility that we, we had when we started and continue in the trucking industry and freight is, is really helpful to help lead some of these conversations. So, uh, but before we get into your work today, let's go back 10 years. Let's go back to 2012. And uh, maybe you can go first and then I might add it as well. I mean, take, your, take yourself back to 2012 and, and, and then let's do an assessment of what happened over the last 10 years. I mean, in what areas might it, we have gotten, you know, you know gone uh, pretty well in decarbonization and where are some other areas that, that we wish we had got or thought we could have gone farther?
1: Well, look, I think that in general, um, the thought process 10 years ago was not really around full electrification. I think the thought process was a lot more around efficiency and figuring out how we could really double uh, the efficiency of, um, particularly, you know, class eight trucks, but lots of other, um, things as well on the roads and, and then how we do, you know, multimodal, uh, support. So we could try to take a lot more volume off of trucks and put it into rail and, and all those things. And I would say that on, on balance, I think we've been quite successful in all of those areas. I do think that, um, particularly on the, the retirement of old, Trucks. I mean, the new ones that have come in are quite a bit more efficient than the the old ones that retired. And I do think that on the margins, I mean, COVID notwithstanding, um, that there was a fairly good effort to de bottleneck multimodal, so we could um, move a lot more freight by by rail.
0: Yeah, yeah, and then you know, um, about midstream in that decade, I would add is when. Um, you know, the electrification of, of trucking sort of, sort of made its way. I mean, I remember standing watching Elon Musk. I mean, I was at his event and, you know, that, that just sort of, that just sort of broke free a bunch of skunkworks projects that were already going on around electric trucks. Um, but even I didn't know about, um, you know, the Cummins and the Daimlers and, uh, you know, Volvos and all just kind of came out of the, out of the woodwork as well as a bunch of other startups. So, um, you know, Jigger, I've always loved your passion, and you know you're super smart around all these all these things and these solutions when you think about investing and so forth. But um, take us back through your career a little bit, uh, and sort of what what drove you to the work you're doing now, uh, um, so that we can get a sense of, of of where you've come from.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, look, I appreciate that. I I have always been in awe of the technologies, right, that we have invented, not only the entrepreneurial effort, but also the effort that Department of Energy has taken in uh, helping with uh, funding a lot of these things. But it's always been a real consternation of mine that these technologies never seem to make it into the market fast enough. And so we end up having to wait for 15, 16-year sort of replacement cycles before we can get them into the field. And um, my career, you know, I've been Thinking about solar and nuclear for a long time, probably when I was 16 years old, and and you know my first job out of college was working at uh, Atlantic Orient Corporation, which was a wind turbine company, and and then I you know worked at uh, Energetics, uh, supporting the Department of Energy as a contractor, and then went to BP and learned a lot about that, and then you know started Sun Edison, and you know Sun Edison was really around figuring out how you do pay as you save. Financing, So that people didn't have to pay the upfront cost. I mean, and so I would say my career largely has been around how you take technologies that are really worth deploying at scale and figuring out the micro issues with the private sector and the uh, adoption cycle to figure out how to really move that a little bit faster.
0: Yeah, you know, when we first started looking at trucking and freight, we, uh, we created a, a benchmarking, a technology benchmarking where we continue to this day to draw adoption curves of, of all kinds of technologies around energy efficiency. And now, you know, we're even looking at solar on tractors, solar on trucks, and trailers. And um, you, you, it becomes pretty sobering when you look back in history and say, wow, it took. 10, 15 years to scale to a saturation point of some of these technologies. Some of them efficiency, it could be other things, safety and other types of technologies. Just look at it and you know, why did it take so long? But I guess that's change. Um, and some of these changes are pretty significant. And moving freight's one of those things that, you know, we all expect to be perfect all the time. You know, we want, we want the exact pair of jeans that fit us or the right coffee or the right thing in the stores. And so I, I guess there's a little bit of risk uh, uh, around change there.
1: Well, I like to think that it was the freight industry's fault that the genes don't fit me, but I think it might be someone else's fault <laughs> that the genes don't fit me. But I think, uh, look, I think in general, when I worked at uh, as a contractor at the Department of Energy, we had this thing called the Clean Cities Program. And it's what we use to like test out, you know, electric buses in Chattanooga, Tennessee, and you know, dimethyl ether or dimethyl methoxy or lots of other fuels in trucks and things around the country. And and you know, people say all the time, right, that uh, change never comes fast enough like you know, year to year, but then when you look back a decade, it's amazing how fast you've changed. I, I would say that we still haven't cracked the code on how we move things faster during an emergency. Like I think when you think about right now where the cost of diesel is really high and, um, and the amount of technologies that we have that have already been fully piloted by NACFI and others over the last you know, seven years is a very long list. One of the things that I struggle with is there's a lot of people saying, well, I don't know if I want to deploy those technologies because I might be moving to electric trucks in three years. I just don't think they're all going to move to electric trucks in three years. And so then the question is, how do we get people past that inertia? Because we have technologies to cut their fuel consumption by a third. We have them right now. We've already piloted them all. I mean, even those solar technologies, I mean, hell, I was working with some of those companies in 2014, they fully piloted them. I mean, it costs over a dollar a kilowatt hour to take electricity off the, the engine. Um, it's a lot cheaper to put solar panels on the top of some of these trailers. Uh, it's a lot cheaper to generate power than a dollar a kilowatt hour that way. Um, but, I, but I really do think we have a deployment problem in these times of crises, where you know, folks can't automatically make a decision to move?
0: Yeah, well, many of those technologies you're talking about do um, switch over and continue with electric trucks. And I would submit, and we've talked about this a lot, studied it a great deal, is that they're even more important on electric vehicles. Now that you don't have the fuel savings because the percent of fuel cost per mile is much lower with electric but what you do have is a range extender. So if you get yeah. the right tires and you drive the truck um, efficiently and so forth, and you, you get that 30 or 40% you're talking about, 30% less battery <laughs> it is a make or break for these electric truck adopters. So um, yeah, I want to get into the loan program. So to tell us about yeah. that. Tell us about that. It's history. And what's your goals right now?
1: Well, the Loan Programs Office has been around since 2005 in the Energy Policy Act of uh, 2005 and then was enhanced in 2007 and then really got a bulk of their funding in 2009 during the era stimulus bill, you know, the first year of the Obama administration. Um, And, you know, since that time, we put out about $30 billion of loans and have had less than a 3.5% loss rate, which is right in line with um, where uh, commercial banks operate. So we've been critical in catalyzing utility scale solar, utility scale wind, uh, geothermal projects. Um, obviously we're famous for the loan we provided to Tesla to save the company there. Um, I think there's lots of examples for our history, and obviously we're in the middle of the loan to the Vodal nuclear plant, um, uh, which is you know marching towards uh, its completion here. And I think we still have about40 billion dollars of additional loan authority to go. And, uh, and you know, we've been able to re- really restart the program uh, under the secretary's leadership. And I think today we've got roughly $79 billion of active loan requests that we're processing. And at a 50% ratio, that's probably $160 billion of, um, of projects. Uh, you know, I think in terms of this sector, where we're seeing the most interest is in uh, fleet conversions. So what you find is, is that there are grant programs, right? Whether you have the HWIP program in California or this new grant program that federal government has for school buses or, uh, or other, you know, type of um, uh, heavy vehicle conversion. Uh, But, but that's not the end of the story, right? It's not just the buses. You still need to put in the EV charging. You have to put in all of the infrastructure necessary to, you know, to get the ecosystem there. and, And what we're finding is our loan program is one of the top instruments that a lot of these fleet conversion folks are going to. And largely that's because the traditional banking sector does not quite understand what they're being left with, right? So that if they finance electric vehicles with um, the charging infrastructure, et cetera, what is the collateral value of that infrastructure? Because they don't have partners that they've worked with for 20 years that buy that stuff from them used, which they do have for diesel and gasoline and propane powered vehicles. And so, so there's a gap there. And so we are a very important way to fill that gap while the commercial banking sector gains the confidence to you know, step in and do that on their own. So it
0: sounds like you know, there's, there's this you know, uh, valley of death concept where you know, prod, our technologies that are funded you know, by early R&D, uh, even by the Department of Energy, that go through, you know, R and D, sort of applied R and D, and then some, you know, they get into some design and development, validation, ultimately deployment. But that there's this reality, right, that sometimes the adoption curve doesn't kick in, and either the manufacturers or the fleets just just can't get going um, fast enough, and then you know, other things could happen, right? Fuel price goes down or administration changes or other things that, that, that really mess up the, the whole dynamic. So is that kind of where the sweet spot of the loan program yeah. is?
1: No, I think that's right. I mean, I've started to tinker with this whole valley of death thing because um, I'm not sure that it is the valley of death. My sense is the mm-hmm. valley of death is more around first of a kind deployment where you're taking binary risk, where you're not sure it's going to work but you have to take the risk at billion-dollar scale. In this case, I would say it's the valley of inertia, right? Or, you know, maybe the valley of laziness where you've got a lot of folks in the middle here who are like, do I really want to go first? I know the technology works. It's been piloted for 15 years by Clean Cities and all these other programs, but like, I don't know. Do I really want to do this? I got to retrain my workers. I got to do all these things. I got to retrain my drivers. I got to do all this stuff. And then when I talk to my bank, my bank is saying, ah, oh, don't make me work that hard. I'd have to write 12 new white papers to convince my investment committee to do it. It Just, you know, like, why don't you just give it another five years before you make that decision? And we can actually get over that valley of inertia, right? Where it is time for things to move forward. And those entrepreneurs do deserve to be able to take those technologies and bring them to to real commercial scale. Um, But, you know, they just can't find partners in the ecosystem, particularly on the commercial banking side that want to enthusiastically support them.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, um, there's a lot of alternatives that we've had over the years from propane to natural gas to other things. I, you know, we did run on less electric last year. And, uh, you know, one of the things, Jigger, that, that really s- struck with me and I think will help with this, I don't know, laziness or this um, risk aversion to something new is all these uh, difficult to monetize benefits of electric vehicles. I mean, the drivers love them. Yeah, um, you know we have we have a driver challenge or shortage. We have technician uh, mechanic shortage, um, but you know as we start to talk about it and and look out there, uh, there's a lot of excitement around electric trucks. They're cool, they're exciting, they're clean, and um, you know that's bringing talent to the industry that um, that I've never seen before and skipping the step of the manufacturers of trucking. And you know we we went so far as to put together you know a few videos that we've been really populating out in the, you know, in the marketplace uh, around just that, where, you know, some of the industry executives were saying, you know, we used to go recruiting at schools for engineers and, you know, we were, trucking was a smokestack industry that was very difficult to get, um, you know, new graduates excited about, but now it's a whole different story. Um, in your experience, I mean, do you, do you see that and, and, and has that been a big lift for certain industries, solar and others maybe?
1: Yeah. I mean, this is the thing, right? Is that we as a society love to lionize technology and the technologists and the CEOs that, you know, venture capitalists, et cetera. But at the end of the day, right, gigaton scale climate reduction comes from workforce, right? That really is the number one challenge that we have outside of commercial debt, you know, which LPO is trying to find a solution for and all that stuff. But we really do have a workforce challenge, right? And And some of it's training, and sure, we have to do that. But a lot of it's just enthusiasm, as you suggest. And part of the reason why many of these decarbonization technologies are winning is not because of government subsidies or whatnot. It's more just that the young people who are deciding where they want to to take their careers are choosing places where they think that they're going to have a long and distinguished career, which is in the future right? Which is, you know, clean technologies and decarbonization. And and I agree with you that that is one of the driving forces for after the fact. I'm not quite sure that people recognize this before they make the decision, but I find after they make the decision and they're doing the after action report two years later to their school board or to their their bosses, they're saying, actually, the biggest thing that came out of this is we got this huge workforce benefit which is a huge deal right particularly when you're when you're talking about the big challenges ahead of us right now
0: yeah yeah 75 percent of men and 85 percent of women truck drivers came into the industry because of a friend or a family member and um you know i'll bet the numbers are pretty high even for like engineers and you know sure. and so forth and so um it, that, that, that number always just sticks with me. Like, ugh, you know, there's got, we got, to, and, and, and these technologies got going forward are just so exciting. Um, uh, so whether it's the Tesla program or one of these fleet adoption programs, um, you know, what are, what, what, what's a real success story for the loan program? I mean, what, what, if you want to use something particular or just, um, in general, what, um, what, what is, what's your success measures and what, 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 uh, How do you know when one's been successful?
1: Yeah, no, that's a good question. And so the the fleet applications that have come into Loan Programs Office right now haven't yet been finalized. And so we can't talk about them specifically. But what I can say around just the broad brushstrokes of it is that um, we've got a tremendous number of folks who've come in where the ecosystem is demanding um, uh, these solutions, right? So things like, Uh, school bus conversions, right? You've already got the money allocated for school bus conversions by the bipartisan infrastructure law. And so there's a lot of school districts who are recognizing that if they want to make a $200 million conversion of all their school buses, right? That the grant program is going to pay for part of it, but the rest of it does have to come from another place. And so, so we're starting to put all these pieces together. And the thing about the Loan Programs Office is when people come in, They don't have it all figured out. They've got, you know, obviously their version 2.0 that we're reviewing. But when we ask tough questions, they're like, oh, actually, you're right. There is a gap here. We need to go back and fill it up. And so if people have a perfect application, which we do get some of those, we can process that in five or six months, which is great. But for a lot of these applications that come in, they're not perfect. And when we ask the tough questions, what commercial debt has to do, we find holes in their business plan and they have to go back and fill those holes. Um, but a year and, you know, a half later, their business is now rock solid and, um, and all of the other banks who are looking over our shoulder go, well, now that you've got through the loan programs office and we know how tough they are to get through, uh, and how thorough they are, we're actually happy to look at your application for, you know, project number two or three. So I think that's one big thing that's happening. The other thing that's happening is I'd say that the, the level of, uh, 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 the ability to replicate these projects is certainly more clear in some sectors than others. So I would say that we're getting very little interest in the Class 6-8 space, uh, Class 8 truck space, but a lot more interest in, let's say, construction equipment uh, or farm equipment or uh, school buses or um, l- last mile, like sort of Class 3 and Class 4 uh, vehicles, where I think that, the value proposition is far more clear and there's more of a return to one single site type characteristic. And so we're getting a lot more interest there than we are in the you know, long distance trucking side.
0: Yeah. Although I would say that our new learnings in the last year and, and really it's a little bit of a, a trend that's caused this, but it's been there all along, but just this is not real well understand in trucking, even by the people in, in the, in the business, is that, that there are a good deal of heavy tractor return to base intra city uh, operations. So it starts with like beverage and drayage yep. and, and certain manufacturing shuttles and so forth that 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 um, really give us, uh, you know, a chance to walk before we have to run in more of the long haul disparate route, you know, kind of mark, part of the market that we do need to figure out as well. And, and a lot of work going on there. Um, you know, Jigar, we're starting starting to run out of time. Here, here's the I always try to come up with, you know, these uh, outstanding, great closing questions. <laughs> you, you've, you've been, uh, yeah, so, you know, I, I uh, and MacV, we get involved with some startups and some entrepreneurs, and I, I guarantee you, I could come up with a number of examples where we've helped somebody along in their very early stages, um, you know, that, that would have prevented some problems down the road that helped them be successful earlier. And, you know, you've made a whole kind of career of that. So as you look at, like, whether it's these loan applications or just working with, you know, uh, early stage businesses around, you know, what, what's your advice to them or what's some of the common mistakes they made? What's, what's the advice? Um, you know, and it's kind of like because getting capital is where all that business plan and all that really comes down to roost. Right. I mean, that's that's like where it really has to has to gel. Um, but what's your sort of maybe top three suggestions to uh, to people trying to take their product from sort of a dream to full scale?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. I'd turn it around, which is that look the the private markets make their decisions, and sometimes they make their decisions for good reasons, and sometimes they make their decisions based on who attended the same country club as they did. But there are people who are funded, and there are people who are not funded. I think that the thing that the federal government um, has not necessarily done in the past, but the secretary I think has been very clear about the fact that we've been given a new mandate by Congress to be more helpful here, is really working on setting up the ecosystem, right? Like I think the federal government does have a big role in making sure that its own procurement is uh, used to uh, catalyze these sectors, right? It, it, I think it does have responsibility to uh, make sure that these um, fleets that are ideally situated Uh, to using this technology first, understand why they should be using the technology first, and we should be using our uh, grant dollars to make sure of that. I think there does need to be some local policy pushes um, that get made to help people facilitate these things. And I, I do think that one of the things that's coming out of this administration more uniquely than previous administrations is Um, A feeling by entrepreneurs that we are actually, um, you know, having their back on ecosystem development, right? So it's not just the loan programs office, which of course I'm very proud of the the shifts that we've made, but it's also getting the entrepreneurs to talk to us and to be very specific about why there's so much interest in their product, but they're not getting to closed deals, right? And, and the more that they can be articulate about that, which I have to say, the first three times I talk to any entrepreneur, they're not articulate about this. It's sort yeah, of yeah. Like, it's like conversation four where they start to really understand what they're wanting to ask for. But getting these folks to be more vocal about what they need from us, um, because ultimately the worst case scenario for us is these folks... Bet the farm and they work their butt off, they, you know, sacrifice relationships with their family and others to like, make their dreams come true. And then they run out of cash because you know, five years has gone by and the government hasn't set up the ecosystem for the, uh, you know, for the adoption of their products.
0: I think, um, you know, in in our world in trucking. You know, it's how many fleets have you talked to? How many shows have you gone to? Who are, who can help you get this product to market? What are the key sort of uh, ecosystem support that needs to take place? I mean, when 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 a company gets to that point, then then they're sort of ready to go. They've got their business plan in place. But um, yeah, hey, it's been great talking to you, Jigger. I mean, I, I'm I'm really excited about this loan program and that you're there. And um, look forward to, to chatting with you again and, and working with you as we as we keep uh, working on the, on these efforts.
1: Well, you've been at it for a couple of decades now, and really appreciate that that level of commitment here. And you know, I think that given the challenges and the super commodity super cycle that we're in right now, I do think this is the right time to figure out how to get all these technologies we've been working on to market faster. And so, really appreciate uh, your partnership and you know the work that everyone's doing on this on this front. Very good. Thank you, Jager. Thanks, Mike. Freight Efficiency with NACFE's Mike
0: Roth and Friends.